Pretty Much Pop this week discussing the phenomenon of news shows and other popular media about UFOs. The particular focus on the new Discovery show Contact, featuring a special guest that featured on that show, newsman Paul Beban. This is Mark Linsenmeyer, Humean Skeptic, and that does look like a plane to me. <laughs> this is Erica Spires, and my mother tells me that I am out of this world. And I'm Brian Hurt, and I, for one, welcome our new alien overlords. I'm Paul Beban. I've been lucky enough to have a fairly long career on broadcast news on both sides of the camera as a writer and producer and correspondent. One of my most recent projects is this show for Discovery Channel called Contact that is a investigation, in air quotes, of UFO sightings and related phenomena really around the world is the plan should the show go for a couple more seasons. There has been a lot of this stuff in the news lately, I think in particular with people have seen the coverage of the Navy releasing, confirming some videos that were shot by their pilots. But it is, of course, an eternal question, you know, are UFOs real? Have aliens been here? So on and so forth. So I think it's always fun to kick this one around. I know that we're just recording audio, but I'm really going to have to encourage everyone to use air quotes from now on. Get those fingers up. (laughs) Let's see it happening. Get them up. Yeah, we're certainly interested in this as cultural phenomena, but of course, in its overlap with media coverage. So the fact that there are just this scads of documentaries, that there's this this ongoing, if it's not something at the center of pop culture, it is a recurrent outlying force. There's an interesting dynamic between cult interest groups and then what filters into the mainstream from time to time. And this is something that, especially with the Raid Area 51 hubbub, you know, that we're hearing about just on a, on a daily basis. <laughs> I was actually thinking about going out there to cover that for fun, but it's easy to brush this stuff off, as you point out. I mean, it, it is often coming from sort of the more tinfoil hat quarters of humanity, but it is an enduring question that crosses over with all kinds of interesting other cultural cross currents, right? Government secrecy, are things being kept from us, and are things being kept from us in this case about really one of the ultimate questions, you know, are human beings alone in the intelligent universe? And what does it all mean? So yeah, I think this is one of those moments when the fringe is really intersecting with the mainstream in some interesting ways. Can I just point out this morning was the morning for the Area 51 raid? I'm not sure if it's today or if it's a whole weekend festival of raiding, but I think people have been rolling into Roswell for a while now. I mean, I've got some friends who are there for coverage or other reasons. Well, it's funny how easily that rolled once the original guy said, oh, no, no, I was just joking how that changed into, what is it, alien stock? You know, that it's an actual trying to have a festival in an area not made for festivals with no amenities. Alien stock. I love it. Yeah. E.T. stock. That's right. It's the lack of hotel rooms that's really keeping this from getting out of control. It makes sense. I mean, I think you give people a reason to sort of catalyze. Except there's no water there. It's like the worst possible place to try to build anything up. I was wondering, in watching Contact, how do you all start the process? How do you vet people, so to speak? Or are you part of that? On this project, I wasn't as involved in the pre-production side as I have been as a journalist. And let's be clear, this is a show where a lot of you know serious people did a lot of background work, but it is not 60 Minutes. It is not Frontline. This is not a fully vetted investigation. All the events on the show happened. People reported these things. Nothing is made up for the purposes of the show. You know, the show lands on the side of, okay, so what if this really happened? What could it be instead of just reflexively knocking everything down? 
there are a number of things that are on this show that remain utterly unexplained that to me are completely baffling, regardless of the fact that I have no, you know, specific aeronautical expertise. I'm not a uh, forensic video analyst to see whether things have been faked. But we did deploy those kind of people to legitimately look into these things. And for example, when you've got an air traffic controller, a military pilot, and a commercial pilot saying, this thing happened and it's all on record that they saw it at the same time, you know, and these are three professionals who have no reason to risk their professional reputation, collude to do that. Something really strange went down there, and who knows what it really was. Was it an alien spacecraft that was tracking a plane? That seems a little outlandish, and yet we don't have any other explanation for it. So you really just got to roll with that, or there's no show. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Has there been anyone who's like really surprised you, and you're like, oh, this person is going to be what they're claiming sounds completely ridiculous. And then once you sit and talk to them, you're just like, oh, there's actually something here. Is, is there anybody in particular that's been like that for you? Absolutely. It's the folks who have professional training, yeah. right? Whether it's an air traffic controller, a commercial pilot, or even a doctor who's talked to a lot of people in sort of, one, you know, for example, in Colares, Brazil, one of the things we looked into was this sustained series of sightings where people claimed that they'd been physically attacked and there were strange symptoms. If it was mass psychosis, it's one of the most extraordinary cases of mass psychosis that I have ever heard of. And the Brazilian army was involved and there's all kinds of intrigue on, on that one. So when you talk to someone who, you know, has a really evidence-based approach to something or a particular training in an area and says, this doesn't match up with anything that I can plot out on paper, so to speak. That's when you have to just sort of shrug your shoulders and say, okay, this is completely unexplained. And Kolaris was one place, the physician and the people we talked to there. And I would say the other one was in Bariloche in Argentina, the pilot, the air traffic controller. We were not able to lock down the military pilot, who was the sort of the third set of eyes on that. Incredible stuff. I heard a line from elsewhere. I wish I could claim credit myself. Incredible things seen by credible people. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Commented on by incredible people like us. Um, you know, it struck me, Paul, that really what made this not 60 Minutes, as you say, seems to be more the tone than anything else. Like there's this, yes, you would expect skepticism or kind of a probing journalistic, keeping something at arm's length, whereas, you know, maybe you have directors saying, well, just play for the, how would you explain this? Or this whole drawing someone into gosh, this really doesn't seem like there's a terrestrial explanation for it, but it doesn't really change the facts on the ground. I think that's correct, Brian. I mean, I think a lot of that is in the editing. I mean, of course, every interview that we did is several orders of magnitude longer than what you see. You don't see all the raised eyebrows or even the eye rolls in some cases. And yet, nobody we talked to was crazy. Nobody we talked to was telling us things that you just sat there and said, there's just, why am I even here? But I think for the purposes of the show, it's, it's a yarn. That's showbiz. And I think, you know, this was an interesting project for me because it's not straight journalism, which is what I've done for 25 years. It's in this alternative space. And when I expressed to lots of people my concerns about it, Bob Baer, who was on Hunting Hitler, which is one of the most successful shows in this space, in this genre for years, he still comments on CNN about terrorism. Now, I'm not saying that's, you know, the, sort of a baseline for credibility, but 
I think we're at a point where most people who watch television are sophisticated enough to know what we're doing. I don't think that we are on the spectrum of fake news. <laughs> At least I hope not. I'm willing to have that discussion. It's the music that defines the genre for me. It's not like you were carrying around on your phone part of that soundtrack so you could ask a question and have it go, vroom, like have. NYPD Blue or whatever, the dun-dun, <laughs> the law and order. <laughs> yeah. To me, a lot of people have said this too, it's sort of a throwback to, I feel like, some of the television that we grew up with, like the Saturday morning you know, or the late at night investigations that you saw on public access or whatever, they're stories more than they are, we're really going to get to the bottom of this on some level. Yeah, there's something wonderful about that, letting people wonder, what if? And we don't need to answer this because we don't know, but like, take time to like consider what else is in the world. And I feel a lot the same way when I talk to people about ghost stories. I've personally never seen a ghost. I'm not saying there aren't ghosts. I would say <laughs> it wouldn't be something that I, like my friend gives ghost tours and he's definitely a believer. And when I tried to tell him, you know, how I felt, he goes, well, yeah, you're a skeptic. There's nothing wrong with that. And I was like, but you know, if, if they were real, I would assume it would be some sort of interdimensional, if time is truly cyclical, right? And maybe somebody's somehow showing, like they're in a different time in the same room that we are and we're just seeing them and we're not supposed to or something. I don't think it's necessarily like a spirit that's left over. And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's one of the theories. And so it's just fun to speculate about. Again, that reminds me of another incredibly, I don't know if you've ever watched Ghost Hunters with Zach Baggins. Whether you believe in ghosts or not, it is compelling, fun television that raises questions that humanity has had forever. You know, what happens to us when we die? Is something left behind or is this, you know, whatever. Within two sentences, you went into like alternate dimensions and time warps and you're like, I, this all sounds absurd, but does it? I mean, that's what I think is fun. You have to open up a little bit. And for me, like personally, again, that was a fun way to approach this project. There's a joke. Yes, I play a journalist on TV. Well, this time I really was playing a journalist on TV. And the show is taking these legitimate, unexplained stories. We did real, the CIA software that's in the control center, and the way we approached it, I think, hasn't been done, certainly, as a broadcast documentary project. There's certainly been lots of individual you know, investigations into this and that here and there. But we did uncover some really interesting patterns. I was not aware that there are big spikes of UFO sightings surrounding natural disasters. I guess that kind of makes sense when you think about it. People are freaked out. They see things they don't understand when they're in, under duress. I didn't know. That's an interesting human phenomenon right there. The new thing that this show added for me was just the crazy technology that's available now. So they keep going back and forth between the away teams that you were on, one that's in South America, and the central hub in San Pedro, where they've got this intelligence engine that it makes it look like they can just, with a, with a single touch of a button, they can say, look at all the volcanoes and connect all the sightings that there have ever been. And it's checking everybody's Facebook posts and tweets and a million other things and get, you know, which I'm sure was a much slower process, just like the investigation part coming up with these lists. Certainly we're in a position now, maybe this is partially why this is having a resurgence where we just have much, much better search tools. And it seems like it's a completely different dynamic than the last time, the fifties, where this was like really a big pop phenomenon. Yeah. Big data has made this kind of stuff much more accessible, obviously. And you can find patterns. You can establish sort of 
connections between things that seem entirely unconnected in the past. The scarcity of coverage in the 50s, when it sort of all began, that fueled the desire to know more, right? Like it's all hidden from us. But now there's so much, the scarcity of information drives people to look for more. But now there's just a feeding frenzy because there is so much accessible. Now that you mentioned the, the 50s and sort of the Area 51 thing, one thing I really liked about the show is we got away from it just being in the United States, right? Because sort of the Cold War paranoia of Area 51 and the idea that the U.S. military was keeping these secrets from us, that storyline has been so played out for domestic UFO storytelling that it just makes it an immediate write-off. It never even occurred to me that, of course, people see lots of UFOs in Brazil and Chile and Argentina and Russia and Italy and all these other places that we were considering going and may go. It's a human phenomenon everywhere. Well, in dipping into this just in the past couple days, I was surprised at how much interest there is in that history in the U.S. So this Project Blue Book, an actual non-documentary, Aidan Gillen, Littlefinger from Game of Thrones, on the History Channel reenacting you know, what was going on in the late 40s and 50s in terms of the alleged government interaction with UFO phenomenon. And I dipped into a bunch of UFO podcasts in the last couple of days, and there's sort of a core famous sightings, famous alleged events, and, you know, a narrative of what government agencies were involved at what point, and here's what we don't know. And depending on who you're talking to, here's like what the relationship, for instance, between the government and Hollywood was. So there's a whole narrative, you know, at least whether it's a fictional history or at least a history of the way people have been talking about this, that is much more uniform and sort of canonized than I would have expected. Like if you're a, somebody that's into UFOs, like, oh, you know about these particular dozen at least set of events. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, though. There are sort of a canonical set of storylines and events that everyone who's in this space refers to. Yeah, and the cool thing about this was coming at it as a layperson, so to speak, not a UFO aficionado. A ufologist. A ufologist, right. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Which sounds like... <laughs> at any rate. How about any of you? Have any of you seen anything unexplained? Every day. I mean, any sightings in particular? <laughs> I never have. I'm trying to think if I've ever met anybody who has, and I don't think as far as aliens go, anybody has ever claimed that, that I've known. Prior to this, I had never met anyone personally who claimed to have seen something or had any kind of experience in this realm. I was actually really surprised. I read the Insider article that Mark shared, which is 35 of the most popular conspiracy theories in the U.S. And I did not know about this. I grew up near Joplin, Missouri, I was unaware oh, that yeah. people thought that the Joplin tornado in 2011 that was massively destructive was created by U.S. military at a facility up in Alaska known as the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program. So it seems like a lot of these theories, not just conspiracy theories, but like theories about aliens have to do with destruction and seismic events, right? One of the things that interests me too with sort of the alien narrative in pop culture is they're always here to do one of two things. They're either going to save us or they're going to destroy us. There's only two outcomes when the <laughs> aliens arrive. <laughs> and it depends on, you know, how we comport ourselves <laughs> during the interaction. It seems like given the data, like if you accept that there have been all these legitimate points of contact and yet they haven't either come down in Times Square and sent out their robot <laughs> representative to say, hey, everybody, and they haven't 
bombed anybody that most likely given that that has not happened, that if we are visited all the time, as, as these people say, then they're just watching us. They're just checking us. It's not that they want to be friends with us. It's not that they want to destroy us. It's merely that they're keeping tabs, which is a much less satisfying, you know, unless you cast it into, we're being tested, unless we can shape up right now, then they will decide to nuke us. Well, I I think they just have their own prime directive, right? You know, they don't want to mess with us. We're not ready yet. It's sort of the zoo hypothesis, right? They're just checking us out. We're like creatures in a terrarium. And I think it's even more likely, if you want to assign likelihoods, there's a, a science fiction story or a novel called Roadside Picnic where the aliens just sort of stop on by and we're beneath their notice and they do their thing and we are not like ants as pests, but just we are something not on their radar. And given how unlikely we are to think the same way or look the same way, that seems more likely than anything else. Like, why would they even be all that curious about us? Depending on how fast they're going by and what they're doing and what their purpose is. The notion that if they came this far, so to speak, why come all this way and not reveal yourself? Again, like as you point out, Brian, that's just subscribing to human logic and we have no, absolutely no idea how a highly evolved life form elsewhere in the universe can't apply reason to what whatever their way of thinking might be. I mean, all, all bets are off in terms of how they would perceive the universe and anything else in it. <laughs> Along those same lines, Paul, when I think about any alien that comes here because they want our water or they want our gold or they want to eat us, like if you have the energy to get here, you have the energy to do all that without getting here. Like getting here is extremely difficult compared to all those other things. You can make your own gold. You'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. They've had that covered. They're not here for the vibranium. Brian, do you write much about aliens? It's something. I'm not actually that fascinated by them. The current project I'm working on, it's a part of it, but more like fact of life. Aliens in more of a Rick and Morty sort of way. Not that that's what we're doing, but less than a you know, first contact. That's not the driving thrust of the story. Are they, aren't they, and what is that contact? So what's interesting about this dynamic, some of these exchanges you were just having, Paul saying that they would think totally different than us, us trying to discern their motives and why, if they're all powerful, you know, compared to us, that should sound very familiar to the claims about God, right? Why doesn't God reveal, come on, just give us the burning bush. Oh, but if you had definite proof, then you wouldn't believe, you know, there must be some mysterious reason. Oh, but no, no, God is so just a non-human creature such that the idea of a motive that we could ascribe, like, eh, that doesn't even apply. So that's not an accident. That's one of the articles that I had found for this was in Vox by Sean Ealing, The New American Religion of UFOs. That's an interview with Diana Pasulka that just has an extensive connection. In fact, it's about the same. More than half of American adults and over 60% of young Americans believe in intelligent extraterrestrial life. And this tracks pretty closely with belief in God. Right. Interesting. I had not seen that, but that, may, of course, makes perfect sense. It's essentially the same leap of faith one has to make to ascribe some kind of anthropomorphized motive and or intellect to something with which we have had no meaningful contact whatsoever and possibly never will, whether it's God or aliens. I have a question about that quote. Over 60% of young Americans believe in intelligent extraterrestrial life. This tracks pretty closely with belief in God. Does that mean 60% of humanity believes in God, or does it mean that there's some crossover between people who believe in aliens and believe in God? Well, I think the claim in the article is that 
with the traditional religion belief levels going down in the West, yes, exactly, that this is the kind of thing that is replacing that. We have perhaps a psychological need for something like religion. A great book on this is Nostalgia for the Absolute. George Steiner was actually a CBC lecture in the 70s, five lectures. And he addresses specifically the UFO, you know, extrasensory perception, all of these things, and ties it in with Marxism and Freud. And all of these things are longings for the fading significance of religion and the human desire to impose order on, on the chaos of existence. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes perfect sense that belief in, in these things tracks very strongly together. We want there to be some kind of order. It fulfills a deep psychological need that it's not all just howling chaos. <laughs> right, we're going to go around the table and everyone say if you believe in God and if you believe in aliens. <laughs> no, we're not no, doing that. No, 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 no. I take it all back. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's an interesting poll, except that in this group, it might just be no, 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 no's. <laughs> <laughs> and then say whether you disbelieve um, in either of them. It's four questions. <laughs> Another point of connection, some of these sightings, I'm thinking in particular the one that's attributed to Dennis Kucinich. Some relation was Shirley MacLaine, who is, of course, known for a lot of talk about the paranormal. But she reported, which then came back in a presidential debate. Somebody asked Kucinich, repeated her account back to him and like, can you confirm or deny? And I think this is not entirely atypical that it's not just, I saw a thing in the sky, what was it? But that I had this experience and, you know, something was talking to me in my head and I felt warm and fuzzy. And so it sounds like the William James variety of religious experiences says people have these mystical experiences is a fairly universal phenomenon, and they just interpret it in light of whatever belief system they have. So if you are Islamic and you have one of these experiences, then you say, oh, Allah visited me. And if you're a Christian, then Jesus came unto me. And so this sounds like another case of that. As William James would say, if those are dead avenues of belief for you, then attributing it to alien contact or something seems like a natural alternative. Yes. That makes perfect sense. When I saw that, that Dennis Kucinich did that, I always liked him. And I thought part of it, it was like, well, good for him. He's a person not afraid to say how he actually feels and believes. And other people may talk about their belief in God. Oh my gosh, Trump just recently, right? Talking about his favorite Bible passage, but he couldn't name one. So he just said all of them. One of the most comical pieces of video I've ever seen. I mean, it's very, it's very personal. It's very personal. Kucinich was just like, yeah, here it is. Aliens. And all of a sudden, we just don't take him seriously because it's aliens as opposed to God. Well, we don't necessarily take if a presidential candidate says, I talk to God on a regular basis. Like, again, depending on your political leanings, your spiritual leanings, and what does God tell you to do? Sure, but don't they, <laughs> like, didn't Bush say something like that? I Maybe I'm making this up. Exactly. <laughs> but people seem to be okay with that, much more okay with that than they are with saying that they even believe in aliens. He didn't say he was getting messages from them. And Carter talked about having seen a UFO famously, and it created some problems. And I think he had to take a little distance from it and citing defense implications uh, later on. But and it was just UFOs. It wasn't even aliens. Right. And that kind of gets into the difficulty of what UFO technically means and what it implies. And there was a Washington Post article that talks about the Navy not wanting to use that term anymore just because it's so fraught with connotations that aren't actually built into what it says. If you see a drone but don't recognize that's what it is at the moment, it's an unidentified flying object because so much of the burden is on the person 
not being able to identify it. Unidentified by whom? Well, <laughs> the person who's looking at it, but <laughs> they may have no knowledge of anything, right? So perfect ignorance is going to make anything unidentified. UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon, yep. Yes, whenever people ask me, are UFOs real? Well, of course, people see things that they can't explain all the time. But that doesn't mean, as you point out, Brian, to make the second leap there is, well, it must be aliens. No, it's just a drone that someone didn't recognize. (laughs) Or, you know, it's a sun dog. You know, it's whatever. It's a lens flare. Those things happen all the time. But when they are, again, and get back to three trained professionals who all see the same thing behave, you know, over a half an hour, for example, in, in the one in Bariloche that I keep coming back to, then that takes it to a different level. So I wonder what the relationship you see to other types of conspiracy theories, that it seems like it's similar epistemological grounds for people accepting or rejecting these theories about this. Well, actually, Erica mentioned the, oh, the government caused this storm. And that's a thing that I had heard recently among, I have a couple Facebook friends from my past that I stay contacted with specifically to see like what wacky thing are they saying now about all the false flag operations and things like this. And and some of these UFO specific documentaries and things that I was looking at, for instance, this very recent film, Unacknowledged 2017, which has Gus from Breaking Bad as the narrator. They always have somebody high powered, probably from a sci-fi property, maybe a, a member of the Star Trek cast to narrate these things. This becomes not just that the government is hiding this stuff because it doesn't want us to panic, but it has actually nefarious purposes. You know, there's an obvious link to all this talk of the deep state that is now like front and center in our political discourse. But I had always thought of like the alien phenomena as sort of politically neutral, that whether you're liberal, whether you're conservative, you might have seen something or you might buy into this, you know, sort of like religions often cut across political lines. Are we seeing some change in that dynamic? Is there some necessary connection between this and other, the more nefarious types of conspiracy theories? I sort of feel like, at least as far as UFOs are concerned and aliens, this one crossed all the sort of political boundaries. I mean, I think there's sort of a baseline of, sure, the government keeps secrets from us. And then I think maybe depending on your political tilt, you could say whether that was for good or ill, because they want to keep us in the dark or they're waiting, you know, for the one world government. When the black helicopters fly overhead, that's when they're going to trot out the alien technology or something like that. The front and centerness of the deep state question now which certainly has come from the right, has sort of maybe changed the math a little bit on what people think, why they think there might be the need for secrecy. But I think overall, that probably remains a fairly constant thing. Yeah, the idea that the military has had access to this advanced technology that we got from the aliens years ago. And right now, we could have all the energy we want, and we could solve world hunger. And it's just the fat cats, the oligarchy that's keeping this from us, and it just, oh, it makes you so angry. Right. The oil companies, they just want to keep making money because the alien fusion would undermine their business model. <laughs> yeah, it just makes me ask about, like, what is entertaining about this genre, that it sounds like the way we've set it up, that the way Erica was describing it, that it's something to wonder at. It just captures your childhood imagination here, but I see just as much of this rage against the machine... <laughs> as fueling, you know, this thing that they just won't tell us, damn it. Well, I guess it's all those things, right? I think it's universal. It always does touch that sense of wonder, looking up at the sky, sense of deep wonder. And then there's all these sort of political overlays and cultural baggage that gets tossed into the boat as well. But at its core, it's what's up there and has it come here? And Those are deep, abiding, 
maybe never to be answered questions. And hopefully we can take something and learn something from it. I know a pastor, I was just asking him about like, you preach about so many things and so many different philosophies. Why do you consider yourself a Christian pastor? And he said to me, well, this is the language that people understand and believe here. So he's like, you know, he feels like his job is to, he's like, if I were in another country, it may not be Jesus. It may be something else. So it it goes back to what you were saying with like searching for some sort of answer, whether it's aliens, you know, he might preach about aliens if he were around a group of people that just believed in that. He might talk about ghosts if it was somebody who believed in ghosts or crystals or whatever it is, whatever it is that makes somebody believe something and it gives them some sort of moral compass Maybe that's what this is all about, wherever we find our meaning. Yeah, so I mean, it sounds like what he's saying is basically the universality of the mystery. It doesn't matter what sort of lens you focus it through, whether you are Buddhist or, or Christian or animist or whatever. The, the mystery of life is shrouded in many veils. We can find our way to these questions through lots of different avenues. I think that's absolutely true. Because, yeah, fundamentally, it all gets at the same what is going on out there? <laughs> Does anything else matter? Well, so we got wonder and rage, but the other thing that showed in our tone right when we started is humor. Aliens are fun. Like It's hard not to have the sci-fi genre, perhaps like all genres, once you repeat a trope enough, it dissolves into satire. It was interesting to hear that part of the UFO fan lore is that the humor is actually part of the conspiracy, that Government agents from the beginning, from the 50s, were working with Hollywood and saying, like Roger Corman, legendary schlock director, oh, he used to be in the army. Of course, everybody was in the army, you know, in World War II. But there are, you know, widely spread theories around that the government was encouraging, yes, Hollywood make schlocky alien monster movies that will undermine in the public's imagination the idea that this could actually be real. Like that this is obvious fantasy, this is obvious entertainment, this is obviously a joke. Let's encourage that kind of jokey mentality. So actually by snickering at this, we're exhibiting our brainwashed state. This is exactly what the government has always wanted us to believe. Make it silly. Make it ridiculous. So Mark, there was also a YouTube video you pointed me to by Robbie Graham talking about hyper-reality and this idea that when Hollywood shows us something, you know, that sort of becomes our reality and we have trouble distinguishing between what we've seen presented to us and how we do construct reality around ourselves. The example he pointed out or a manifestation of this was when there are news stories about life on Mars, often there'll be a picture from Tim Burton's Mars Attacks alongside the story, right? Because that's how we perceive Martians in a way we've seen that movie. You can know something is going on and still not extricate yourself from it. You can point this fact out to me, and I I will still have trouble changing what my picture of aliens is based on all the movies I've seen and all the little gray men. And even when it's done for yucks, even when it's the movie Paul, that's just reinforcing the same thing, that it's a little short, doughy guy with the big black eyes. And that's when you tell me to think of an alien, it's likely to go to one of these things First, So I guess I could be aware that I'm being made a tool by Hollywood and the deep state and the military in persistent being the tool of all those organizations. Part of that story was that the people making the movies to figure out what their designs were going to be, it's often not just from their imagination, but like Spielberg and Close Encounters, they will research supposed reports. So 
there's this weird loop that things get reported, you know, in actual news media become Hollywood. And that in turn, then again, if you have this experience that you can't quite explain, you might impose some image on it from the movies. So it just is this weird loop. That's what I kind of loved about Arrival, actually. Arrival was one of my favorite alien movies. The best. Yeah. And they were a completely different look, right, than what we've seen anywhere else. And made me think that's probably more likely what it's going to be as something that we just can't understand and perceive. It is cute to think of the typical Area 51 alien looking guy, kind of adorable with those big eyes. I agree. I think Arrival is one of those movies where, in some ways, I almost wish you had never seen, you know, it's like the movie where you never see the monster. That's what makes the monster so scary. What was wonderful about that was even the reveal still didn't really give you everything. You know, it still held back. And their ship remained, you know, just the whatever, the, not really an obelisk, but that, you know, black light-absorbing thing. You really never knew anything more than that. That speaks to the fact that we are projecting so much of what we wish or hope or want or fear onto this particular thing. You know, in the short story it's based on by Ted Chang, Story of Your Life, it's interesting. It's It's all done through transmissions. We don't see the ship and we don't see the aliens. And I think... Can't make a movie out of that. You can't make a movie out of that. That's right. And, you know, they get into the, uh, it's not just the linguistic difference of how they form sentences, but also our mathematics is built up from arithmetic and geometry, and we develop calculus from it. And their minds work backwards, and actually rates and calculus is their basis upon which they build geometry, which is just, okay, so I've ruined the book, ruined the story. No one read it, I guess. I was totally following that. Now it's completely ruined for me, because you were talking about mathematics the spoiler at the end is already spoiled if you've seen the movie, I guess. But the important thing is that really it does not have the visual element that you need. You're right, Paul. Sometimes the thing you don't see is more intriguing and interesting, but it's hard to carry a two-hour movie like that sometimes. I actually just did review kind of what is the recent stuff released in this space. And there's a movie released last year called UFO Featuring Gillian Anderson, they again throw in in a small cameo role somebody from one of the classic series, which is all about a young mathematics student that intercepts a transmission. There's been a sighting at an airport. And so the whole thing is just him running around trying to figure out what these, he's a brilliant mathematician trying to figure out what these numbers mean. And it is about as exciting as you would picture there. It's like, will he stay at home and figure out what the numbers mean? Or will he pick up his girlfriend and drive her somewhere that he promised? No, he's going to lose everything else in his life. He's going to miss his final exam. He's pounding on the door of the classroom because he's, they've already started because he was up late working on these numbers. That's what this genre has come to. <laughs> but you throw Scully in there and you, and you get, you know, you, you pull some of the X-Files audience. <laughs> Exactly. When would we uh, find out if there's a season two and what that will explore? The season two question will be revealed. Uh, <laughs> you know, the last episode is next week, eight of eight. The numbers have been really good. Uh, I won't get into sort of the TV inside baseball. The numbers have been good. There is a hunger for this kind of programming that sort of floats in this alternative space. But we won't know. I mean, it's sort of the whims of, of programming and, and does it do well enough to get over a certain bar? I don't know. But it certainly was, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience, the professionalism of the team and everybody involved. And I think also that I want to mention this, the care that was brought to talking to all of these people, the concern for treating them with respect, 
was something you know that I came in with as a journalist. I mean, it's so hard to get people to give you something precious when they're telling you a story. This is a, something that people are often really embarrassed about and not eager to talk about, whether you're a Navy pilot or just... So it was really touching in a, in a way to get people to talk about something that they really didn't understand and maybe scared them or whatever. You're talking about humanity. What better thing to end on and, and, and how aliens bring out our humanity or lack of? What a nice way to put it. That's why I found the topic so interesting is what does this say about us? What does it say about our deepest sort of desires and needs that this topic, everybody has an opinion about it. I mean, that was one of these. Nobody who's like, oh, I don't care one way or the other, UFOs <laughs> right. or aliens. Never met anybody who, who thought that way about it. I find it compelling and I'd love to do more of it. Paul, not to ask what you actually believe, but to ask if this process of making this show changed you priors at all. Do you think anything different or are your gut feelings at all changed having gone through this? On sort of the baseline question of whether contact has been made, my opinion hasn't changed. I don't think that for all the mathematical and other probabilistic reasons that we've touched on, that alien life has made it to Earth. Again, though, <laughs> some of these things are so compelling and weird that it's an open question. I'm open to the idea that maybe that was a, a, an alien spacecraft in Bariloche. I don't think it was, but I don't have any doubt that people are seriously trying to explain things that they don't understand and not doing it for sort of sensationalistic or other nefarious reasons. They really believe it, and it's worth believing people to see what it is that they're driving at and what they experienced. That's really valuable. Yes. Would you agree with the statement that the truth is out there? <laughs> I would. <laughs> it's out there somewhere. <laughs> well, should we take bets on whether for season two, if it does come back, they'll say, well, it can come back, but come on, you have to have a cast member from a past sci-fi show, perhaps Billy Moomy from uh, Babylon 5 and Lost in Space as the narrator. Come on, how could, you, how could you do that kind of show without that? We're going to shift from the military intelligence guys to the celebrity alien hunter side, or the, yeah, the celebrity sci-fi side. Could happen. Thanks so much, Paul. Thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, guys. It was really fun. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life Podcast Network, and it's also presented by OpenCulture.com. Get more Pretty Much Pop at PrettyMuchPop.com. Get bonus content for every episode, and you get to hear the episodes in advance of everyone else at Patreon.com slash PrettyMuchPop.